Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. So many of the systems that keep us alive through medical crises are just that. Systems. Hospitals and intensive care units are part of medical systems. How a department runs is part of an operating system. The protocols for emergency situations are part of a safety system. And even the ways family and friends interact with each other are part of a larger family system. At the heart of all these systems, our people. And what we also know about systems work is that what happens between two people in the system will have reverberations, ripples of impact for others in the system too. So it matters how we interact with each other. Conflicts can happen in the system, causing people to feel disconnected from the system or to even become entangled, whether by choice or not, with others in the system, with unresolved conflict, which creates barriers for healing. The greatest predictor of a smooth and resilient health system, which is designed to contribute to the well-being of the humans, is the very well-being of the humans themselves as they operate and interact in the system. Who your doctors are, or your nurses or techs or other members of the medical team, and who the patient is, and how the doctors or nurses or techs interact with the patient, the quality of the interaction, is at the heart of a healthy health system. Today's episode is about what happens when there is a fracture in the doctor and patient relationship, or multiple fractures or infractions, as in our case when Archer's recovery took another unexpected turn for the worse, and how quality interaction was restored. Did you know our podcast sponsor, the 501c3 nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, is now the Blink of an Eye nonprofit. And they have a launch campaign so they can raise funds to go bedside with SCI families in crisis. You can donate on blinkofaneye.org or ICTHAT.org for the HEAL team, which brings hope, empowerment, advocacy, and logistical medical navigation tips 
to spinal cord injured families in crisis. If you are interested in finding out more or becoming part of the Blink of an Eye cutting-edge relational approaches to trauma healing, medical trauma, navigation, and emotional and spiritual support for SCI families in crisis, fill out an information form at www.blinkofaneye.org. Follow Blink of an Eye on Instagram and Facebook at Blink of an Eye Nonprofit. Links to these platforms will be in the show notes. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 25, Listen to the Patient, Self-Advocacy and the Caring Ethic in SCI Rehab. Hello, dear ones. The first months of SCI rehabilitation can be an exhausting as well as exciting, but also often harrowing experience for the patient and the SCI family. For Archer, with all of the complications due to the nature of his high spine complete injury, the ocean water that had filled his lungs, and the lack of spinal cord injury expertise at even such well-regarded intensive care units as the one where Archer was flown to in New Jersey, the course of his recovery continued to be a series of hairpin turns. Today, we're in for yet another turn that might surprise you. Where we left off in the last episode, we had what seemed like a thoughtful next course of action. We expected to depart from Shepherd and to transfer to a facility closer to home in Baltimore, the Kennedy Krieger Institute at Johns Hopkins Hospital, where Archer would be in a less intense rehab facility while receiving the medical care he needed to get strong enough to participate in more rigorous rehab and discharged home. But in early November, we were stung with some new information that shook things up once again. And it started with Archer knowing something was not right and the ability to communicate that through blinking his eyes, but because of a very special relationship, someone who is paying attention. You will meet her. Too often, there are factors which limit a patient's ability to tune in to their own knowing and to communicate it. There are structures of power that might make it more difficult for some patients to express their needs or be taken seriously and protocols of efficiency might also stifle a patient's expression of a need. Sometimes, a patient, especially one who, like Archer, had lost the ability to communicate in the way they used to, might simply not have the confidence or energy to try to communicate, or the people around them might not be willing to take the time to notice or to listen or there may not be anyone who is bedside or anyone who cares enough to pay attention. After all, machines track most of our vitals. It's understandable. It's also devastating. Archer was truly one of the lucky ones to have a network of friends and family support that allowed Billy and me to be their bedside 
to notice, to hear, and to support him. But the very support that Archer received, ironically, caused at least one of his doctors, his lead doctor, to overlook the depth of Archer's character in ways that seemed to impact his care and progress. And I want to talk about that today and what can change that predictable negative outcome. In these months in the hospital healthcare system, I learned it can be hard for those on medical teams to actually know very much about a patient. That was a painful revelation to me and was compounded in our case when Archer was not able to speak much and when most of his daily energy was spent fighting hard to breathe. This episode is full of a number of ways to navigate very tricky medical relationships and how a deeply felt and practiced caring ethic can be the number one reason that promotes healing and repair and prevents harm. You will also meet one of the extraordinary people at the Shepherd Center. This episode today is a personal invitation for you. Whether you are in a medical situation or a rehabilitation process or not, or working hard towards something or not, or experiencing setbacks, not being understood, an invitation is being extended to practice trusting yourself and being your own advocate, not just to get something you want, but to speak up clearly for something you notice and need. So now, before we launch into today's story, ask yourself, what is one thing that would support my well-being in this moment? It could be very simple. Maybe a glass of water. Maybe a deep, relaxing breath. Maybe to stop eating so fast. Or maybe it's a broader intention. Maybe your body is saying, I need more rest. Or I need a healthy meal today. Or I need to just be for a few minutes. Maybe the very act of asking the question of your body, what do you need now, might be new for you or be a question to ask often as you tune in to yourself. Listen for those subtle cues from your body and choose one wish or desire you know you have the capacity to fulfill. If you commit, say it out loud. Building up those skills of listening carefully to your body and developing trust within yourself for the sensations you feel is so important for ongoing health. It's also great practice for being able to then empty your thoughts to see what other thoughts emerge. This will help prepare you to weather your own difficult times as well as to speak up or take action, clear action, 
when you know something is not right. So settle in, take a deep breath, and tune in to the unique and subtle complexity of the sensations and workings of your body, your human system, as we listen together. Here we go. November 2nd, 2015, day 91. Family and friends update. Archer knows. Archer has been saying upon an exhalation that his right arm hurt, then of late that his chest hurt. There's been a germ of thought by his lead doctor that he may not be trying hard enough. More on that later. I knew differently. And so did Archer's body. He said it again on Friday. One attentive nurse paid attention. God bless her. She reported it in his record and said something to another physician. So an EKG was performed. His heart was fine. That's actually good to know. His chest still hurt. So they next ordered an X-ray of the chest. Hmm. It appeared there was a change from the last X-ray taken in ICU. They next ordered a CAT scan, which required Archer to be taken to the adjoining hospital, Piedmont Medical, where he spent the day on Friday. Good thing Archer's army had not come early for Fun Friday, as they usually did, since Fun Friday at the Shepherd Haunted House was not meant to be for Archer. Well, as an aside, we were fine with that. The T's had cast Archer as the ghoul who hangs in a corner at whom hatchets are thrown at his chest. Really, I'm not kidding. That is what they cast Archer to do in the shepherd haunted house. I heard from one of the T's who thought it was perfect for Archer since he could make some pretty good faces when in pain. Really? I said. Archer sheepishly said to me he really didn't want them to paint his chest. Paint your chest? I was horrified when I learned of it. Really? My lord, His chest is already disturbing to look at, now stitched with a number of two to four inch scars on his left shoulder, many down the right sides of his chest, with pierces in different places as well, like Jesus. After all, he did undergo nine surgeries in 38 days. And throwing objects at a body that has no way to put up a hand or an arm to stop something, let alone a voice to cry no or stop, being cast as a dartboard for fun? Archer told me they had actors coming to do the body paint, and they planned to paint his chest to look scary and bloody 
and all he was supposed to do was make facial grimaces as the fake axes were thrown. Really? Honestly, Archer and I talked and thought that was not funny at all. In fact, I found it rather macabre. Now that I think about all those surgeries and general anesthesia, I wonder if indeed some of it is still trapped in Archer's body, which has no way to move in ways we would be able to move to work it out. Perhaps trapped under his right shoulder blade, where general anesthesia can often lodge after surgery? Just a thought. Anyway, Archer missed the whole Halloween thing here at Shepherd. That's quite a big deal, which they spend a few weeks preparing for, turning the gym into a haunted house. And while he did not want to be in the hospital, his missing the ghoulishness of disabled paraplegics and quadriplegics, acting scary, or being scared by other twisted characters, was not exactly up our alley. I know. Call me a party pooper. I probably am about Halloween. The dark side of it, that is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Halloween for all the dress-up and fun and creative costumes that make you laugh and smile, and Halloween parades, and neighborhood trick-or-treating, and candy apples and pumpkin carvings. But how and when did all the ghoul and darkness creep in the way it has? How did Halloween become the huge, dark, bloody, gory, creepy thing it is? How do we let that happen as a society and think it's actually fun for children to have the living daylights scared out of them? Children and even adults whose systems can't metabolize those experiences and can't tell the difference if the scare is real or pretend, at least in the moment for adults. But for children, for nights or years afterwards, just ask any neuroscientist. I mean, don't you wonder about Halloween sometimes? You know, the devil is a funny guy, always lurking in the background, waiting for a chance to slither in. Coward. So it just seemed like it was one of those parties it was okay to skip. So what did they find at Piedmont Hospital? Well, the CAT scan showed Archer has blebs in his lungs. Blebs are air pockets. Think about the inner tube on a bicycle tire that has a soft spot and bubbles out. Pockets of air that can be like little Rice Krispies. But archers are the size of grapes and tangerines encapsulated in fleshy tissue. Not funny. Archer has bullous lung disease. 
This is not something Shepherd pulmonologists are familiar with. The pulmonologist said it is not the result of the original spinal cord injury. It may have been caused by something they did to the right lung in Atlantic City. The thoracic surgeon at Piedmont Hospital here says it has happened since he has been at Shepherd and was likely caused by the anexiflator. Archer's room is now posted with large signs, no assisted coughing, no I-N-E-X. Back in 2015, I did not have Google on my phone, or if it existed, I did not yet know how to use it. It might be a good thing I did not, because I would have easily Googled that bullous lung disease is the third leading cause of death in the United States and is associated with emphysema. But I did not have that information. The doctors spoke of blebs in Archer's lungs, but I was not given the information that bullae, as in bullous lung disease, are clusters of many blebs which are essentially cysts in the lungs. And these clusters of blebs are permanent. I do recall the doctors at Piedmont saying that the two most common causes of the disease were significant smoking history and an inherited autosomal co-dominant genetic condition called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. Well, Archer neither had a long smoking history, nor did he have the underlying genetic condition. Bullous lung disease causes all of the symptoms Archer had been experiencing. Chest pressure, difficulty breathing, not able to blow air, soreness in his chest, a bloated feeling, fatigue, and his consistent low pulmonary function tests. The average life expectancy of this disease is five years. I'm glad I did not have Google to know all of this then. But what I did have was the ability to ask many questions. And ask I did. But I did not ask if blebs or this condition could kill Archer. As that possibility never crossed my mind. Back to the update. Archer has been trying so very hard, and his body, unbeknownst to anyone, has had a weakness greater than just a respiratory issue. It's no wonder he went from a vital capacity of 650 shortly after we got here, to then 300, to then 200, when he was clearly working very hard to breathe. We can track the development of and its progression. I must keep asking questions. I'm learning that what happens is they do a CAT scan and come back and tell you the next day what he has, and then they say he'll need another surgery. That's how it is. So what kind of surgery, I asked. 
they said, thoracic. What kind of thoracic surgery, I asked. They said, pleurodesis. I said, he's already had that at Atlanticare. They were surprised. It's an unusual surgery, they said. I said, I'm pretty sure it was pleurodesis, right? The surgery where they blow talcum powder in to burn the chest wall and the lung so they fuse together? The one that Archer had and he burned for three days? Yes, that's the one. They then said, this limits what we can do. I asked, what would you have done? They said, pleurodesis. Well, what can you do now? They said, they can clip the tissue that is around the blebs, but said it's risky. I said, I believe Archer already had that surgery as well. The thoracic surgeon in Atlantic City had checked for blebs. There were none. Sadly, none of these surgeries are in the records sent to Shepard. The pulmonologist at Shepard says Archer is now medically complicated and this is not their specialty. The thoracic team at Piedmont says it is medically complicated and they need to consult others. We are waiting. Please pray in the spaces of waiting. Please pray, dear Blessed Mother Mary. Please pray, dear Father Bruno Lanteri. Archer had had pneumothorax. He had had three incisions cut into the sides of his ribs where three different tubes like clear garden hoses had been inserted between his ribs to drain fluid from his lungs as four medical staff rotated him onto his sides every four hours for weeks. He had had collapsed lungs, first the left lung and then the right. He didn't have enough nerve innervation from his severed spinal cord to activate his diaphragm to lift his lungs. He had had pleurodesis surgeries, both lungs, to sear each lung to the chest wall by aggravating the tissue such that it burned like a branding of an animal to fuse the skins together, like superglue, enough to hold the lung up so it could then inflate, an excruciating, almost draconian surgery. And Archer had had it twice. Archer was being lung suctioned around the clock, which was ghastly to watch him writhe each time the long, thin French catheter tube snaked into his lungs to get the plugs of mucus. And the last couple weeks, Shepard had been increasing the pressure on the cough assist and exaflator, so much so 
that it was as if Archer's right shoulder was thrown out from the violent heaving that having that much air pressure blown into his chest created. Like drinking from a fire hose, as they'd say, but this time literally trying to breathe in a wind tunnel. All of these happenings when a spinal cord injured person should have been well into his rehabilitation. The saving grace was the kindness shown to Archer by a regular team of nurses assigned to him at Shepherd, and by one nurse in particular, Rebecca McWalters. Like some of Archer's best doctors, Rebecca too allowed me to put her phone number in my phone and I was able to track her down over seven years later. She knew very little about what went on in the rehab gym with physical therapy, but she knew a great deal about Archer because she paid attention to him and I knew she was on our team because she believed in Archer. But I wasn't sure if she would remember who we were all these years later. I treated them as if they were my own and they were mine for a moment during their life. And um, I loved each and every one of them. In fact, um, I had to pull myself together before I logged into the Zoom because you sent that picture of Archer and they were mine for a moment. Yeah. having that impact on me too yeah and that moment just transcends the past and the future and is in the now and stays with you i'm so glad you reached out to me i never really know what happens to the kids once they leave archers i remember him just being such an amazing, talented, witty, funny young man, and um, just really loving him and you and being a part of his recovery. You were also one of the shining lights for us in dark moments because mm-hmm. Archer was so complicated. Yeah, just yeah, so incredibly complicated to be in rehab with all the ventilation issues, right. lung issues, the mm-hmm. chest tube, you know, he still had a chest tube when he was first came on. Right. Um, right. One thing after another, and you always lifted him up. <laughs> you know, it was that, really amazing. yeah, that was definitely my goal with the kid. I left all of my own personal worries at the door at the entrance to Shepherd. left him there because it didn't matter. What mattered were the kids and making sure that today was going to be a great day. And um, I really tried to bring that into all the kids, to Archer, and because they just didn't need to see anything else but happiness. And that yeah, everything really was amazing. I think what nurses might have to very consciously, because we all have lives, you know, and our lives are, are not perfect. And the conscious decision of what we leave at the door in order to yeah. be really present for those whom we wish to serve. Absolutely. It's a, it's a real, that's a calling unto itself. And I think takes a great amount of discipline 
and their rewards are, are really quite tremendous. I have a question for you about that because something I really remember, Rebecca, about you and some of the other nurses, people in your profession who really impacted mm-hmm. us were, were ones who, and you, you were really a shining light in doing this. You did let on not troubles, you know, in your life, but that you had children. Mm-hmm. I remember that distinctively about you and how it just made being with you so much more, so much fuller because of the whole, the whole person that you brought and let us, gave us glimpses into. Can you speak about that? Just being myself, I am a mom. Um, again, this goes back to Archer. I really felt like Archer was mine for a moment. I was responsible for him. He was mine. I, that's just who I am. He was mine and I was going to take care of him no matter what. The nursing profession attracts many givers. And if you are in a hospital, I hope you are blessed to have at least one nurse giver assigned to you. It's a blessing. I also imagine it takes a great deal out of the nurses, a daily act of service. It's nurses like Rebecca who were part of what got Archer through each day because they took the time and the care to see him as a full person and to believe in him almost as a witness. That's powerful medicine. But you know what else I've realized? A sort of byproduct of this medical relational relationship based on what was close proximity was a quality of caring about and seeing the full patient that allowed Archer very quietly to share again the tight sensations he felt in his chest. Now that's really saying something because Archer was classified as an Asia A C4 complete with the severing of his spinal cord, paralyzing him from the neck and top of the chest shoulders on down, which meant his brain didn't get the signals of sensation below his shoulders. But his body still experienced sensations, both pleasurable and painful. His brain just didn't register it. This is a hard concept for many to grasp about spinal cord injury. And indeed, many doctors and medical teams find it hard to grasp as well. That Archer had said he felt this inner tightness was important. And he had said this before, his chest tightening sensation. But his lead rehab doctor passed it off, coming from someone she viewed as weak, someone who should be past any pain and getting on with rehab. And she had said as much. Rebecca, who paid attention to the patient Archer was, listened and told the pulmonologist and a nurse practitioner. And now, back to the bolus lung disease diagnosis and the family and friends updates. 
I've asked many questions with the consulting nurse practitioner over the weekend and have requested consults for the best eyes and brains to collaborate. Emory Hospital here in Atlanta and Johns Hopkins at home in Baltimore and the Atlanta Care Surgeon. I've reached out to all my contacts asking to help me. Let's talk and figure this out together. We will be relentless in this before we do anything. They CAT scanned Archer again back in the hospital this afternoon to see if there's any progression of the blubs. Of course, if there is, it's a game changer and I get it. After all he's been through, he has to have space in his lungs for air. Let's pray there is no progression and we bide our time. Two other curious things of note. Archer's eyes are dilated. I mean, they're big and the black of his pupil fills his iris all day long. It was like this early this morning and is still this way now. I've asked about it and asked them to note this in his record. It's unusual. He's in good spirits, very attentive. Still quiet, but alert and engaged with everything that's going on and taking it in carefully. There's just so much for him to take in. So very much. Constantly. His eyes are so dilated. Tonight, ICU called about an hour ago and said, Archer is leaking PVCs. Ray's heart. So they've now scheduled some blood work early in the morning. Not sure what that is about. We're in a holding pattern now, waiting for the CAT scan results and the meeting with the team from Piedmont and the former chair of the thoracic department at Emory. Billy and I also had a 90-minute group conference call with Kennedy Krieger today, and we hope someone puts us in touch with the thoracic at Johns Hopkins. Well, one thing is clear to me. It would surely be a mistake to go forward with the DPS diaphragm pacemaker when his right lung is not functioning, even if it were helped electronically. I can't help but to feel that all of this is leading to something important, something that will have in the long run lungs that are clear and bright and beautiful. Whether they are restored to perfection again, the way they had been, they will be cleaned out and Archer will breathe freely. The bullous lung disease may throw another wrench into Archer weaning off the vent, but it will be just another bump. Archer was so wise to insist on telling us he had pain in his chest. He's a champion of his own health. 
please pray to our adopted almost saint, Father Bruno Lanteri, and always to the Blessed Mother Mary, to wrap their arms around our dear lion-hearted boy for healing and strengthening and for a creative miracle. And please, pray for the thoracic surgeons at Piedmont Hospital and those from Emory and Johns Hopkins Hospital and from Atlanticare as well, all from whom we seek information and viewpoint, that they might be imbued with God's Holy Spirit and know the best course for Archer, for wisdom guided by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. You know the power when we rest in God and turn over the larger picture to His grace. Please pray for this wisdom for our medical advisors. You know, it's a crazy thing, but the more I think about it, Archer's dilated eyes, well, I'm not sure how to say this exactly, but I feel the Holy Spirit is working on him. The prayer cards for Father Bruno Lanteri arrived, and Archer and I were praying together the prayer on the card. Before doing so, I showed Archer the card and the prayer. He was very pensive and asked, Who wrote it? I told him, Diane did, with divine intervention, as she was in deep prayer with the Blessed Mother. And he asked, She knew of the creative miracle? And I said, I tweaked it slightly. And he said, I like how the creative miracle and begin again are written together. I like it very much. It is a beautifully written prayer. Indeed, it is a beautifully written prayer. If you'd like a prayer card, please email your request to diane.y.beliveau, that's B-E-L-I-V-E-A-U at gmail.com. I gave the prayer card of Father Bruno to a dear friend of ours. She was accompanied by her son, who has told me in prior conversations he's an atheist. Well, this young friend of mine has one of the purest hearts I know. Pure hearts are often fragile and have to muscle up and close up in order to survive in the secular world. I know we love each other like family, even though he does not share my love of God or even the acknowledgement that there is a God. So I asked him if he'd like to pray for a creative miracle too. And he said, only if you want me to. And I said, I want you to. And he said, I will then. That was a gift. He will find strength for his pure heart in prayer. I attach a picture of the prayer card and the explanation. The card reads, 
Why ask Father Bruno Lanteri to intercede for Archer Semft? On August 5, 2015, Archer Semft, age 17, suffered a traumatic C5 burst spinal cord injury. His injury is classified as C4 Asia 4 quadriplegic complete. The injury occurred while taking a dip in the ocean to cool off after working the lunch rush as the grill cook at the Beach Club of Cape May, New Jersey. Archer is a vibrant and talented young man who hopes to recover fully with the help of prayer, support, and rehabilitation therapies. To read updates about Archer, please visit www.berelational.com. In the Catholic faith, the feast day of a saint is the date of their death. Venerable Bruno Lanteri's death was August 5, 1830. Almost 200 years have passed since his death, and his cause for canonization is underway. Canonization requires two miracles, supported with evidence authenticating the intercessory prayer of the deceased Venerable. During his life, Venerable Lanteri sought God's glory in all things and was utterly unconcerned about himself. He had a fervent devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, whom he took as his own mother when his biological mother died when he was only four years old. At age 17, Bruno Lanteri attempted to join the Carthusians, but was denied due to fragile health, with an affliction referred to as weakness of the chest. This was a turning point for Bruno, and the first step to a new beginning as a diocesan priest, and eventually the founder of the Oblates of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Like Bruno, Archer is in need of a new beginning. With firm faith and unwavering hope, please join us in our prayer to Venerable Bruno Lanteri to intercede for the whole and complete healing of Archer so that he may begin again with a creative miracle for God's greater glory through his chosen channel of grace. Venerable Father Bruno Lanteri's cause for canonization. The Church, in declaring Father Bruno Lanteri venerable, recognized his heroic virtue and that he was a powerful, effective channel of God's grace. Even at the time of Father Bruno Lanteri's death on August 5, 1830, many regarded him as a saint. It was not until 1919 that the Oblates of the Virgin Mary introduced his cause. On August 5, 1930, the 100th anniversary of the Founder's death, the Oblates named Father Tommaso Piatti as postulator of the cause. At this point, Father Bruno Lanteri became servant of God. The Church formally recognized Bruno's heroic virtue and declared him venerable on November 23, 1965. Evidence of a physical miracle through his intercession is still required 
in order for Father Bruno Lanteri to be beatified. An additional miracle will be required for canonization. Even though some have reported, quote, miracles, end quote, through Father Lanteri's intercession, such miracles have not been able to be sufficiently verified. Perhaps one of the reasons that it has taken so long for Lanteri's cause to progress is that no biography existed until 1870, 40 years after his death. Other biographies, all in Italian, were more scholarly and historical and less accessible to devotional readers. The first popular biography in English, A Cross for Napoleon, St. Paul Editions, 1980, was a translation of Leon Cristiani's French text, originally published in 1957. A comic book version of his life was produced in 2009 to mark the 250th anniversary of Bruno's birth. On September 1st, 2013, Crossroad Publishing released Begin Again, The Life and Spiritual Legacy of Bruno Lanteri by Father Timothy Gallagher, OMV. As a best-selling author and a member of the congregation Lanteri founded, Father Gallagher has crafted this biography with historical precision, spiritual insight, and engaging personal connection to the saintly priest of Turin. Copies can be ordered at www.frtimothygallagher.org. I like that picture of Arch on the prayer card. He has his arm around his grandmother who cannot be seen in this up-close version just a week or so before the injury. It's so hard to believe. That 80th birthday party in Illinois was such a good time. I'm so glad we all had that time together. It was really renewing. Hard as it is to get so many family together, it is so good for the now and the future to get together. Gosh, whenever there is a big birthday in your family, 40, 50, 60, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, 100, it's really, really worth the time to gather family together. It's a heck of a lot better than waiting to get together at funerals. Even if not everyone can come, gather what you can. Just do it. A picnic is a wonderful way in every part of the country to celebrate. Out of doors, homemade food, cake and drink. Old-fashioned and timeless. So simple. So important. Anytime we get together to eat and drink, it's significant. Things happen when we gather to break bread and celebrate. We get closer, stronger, more connected. It's always worth the effort to plan, to contribute, 
to show up. Speaking of food, my brother Will started in our room a treat basket for the staff a number of weeks ago. We have received delicious boxes of chocolates, homemade cookies, and macaroons. And we can't begin to eat them all. <laughs> you know what I'm starting to look like. But regardless, it just feels good to share. So last night, one of the male techs working on Archer, whom I haven't seen in a few weeks, was assigned to us. I let him know, please, help yourself to some of the treats I had added to the food basket. I then got him a paper plate, which I keep in the room thanks to the Atlanta Raphael Comfort Angels. Well, I had to chuckle when he literally looked like Santa Claus, tippy-toeing out of Archer's room with a plate piled with cookies and confections, at least six inches high, I kid you not. I loved that. He was so happy. Isn't that sweet? Thank you, angels. We feed each other. And for all of you who send us and bring us food, you are not only feeding us, you are feeding others. Isn't that lovely? Sharing food. Something unifying about that. Sustaining. Sacred. There is something sacred about sharing food that can be so supportive and co-regulating in a hard time. I mean, don't get me wrong, the monetary donations that kept us afloat and allowed us to buy Archer's equipment, pay for the many uncovered medical expenses, and prepare our home for his return, well, those funds felt like pure gifts from heaven. But there was something very essential, primitively comforting, about receiving the daily lunches from the Atlanta Angels, just what we needed. No more, no less. Daily. I would get texts from Dee Dee Provost, dear Allison Andrews, or Mary Dillon, like, on my way, may I bring cinnamon rolls? Or, picking up lunch, how does soup sound? And I think it was as good for us as it was for them. That's the sacred part. It's such a human impulse, a moral impulse, to care for others, to break bread with others. While at Mass yesterday, I watched an old usher man with a limp, who in his Sunday suit, now baggy over his thinning arms and frame, walked up the aisle to direct folks to communion. As he did so, he threw his left leg out to the side with each step. You know, I said to myself, he has a story. And then I thought, we all have a story. I wondered if I would have overlooked him before Archer's injury. I hope not, but I might have, or I may have noticed 
but not stop to think more about him, his story. What we see, like his limp, can let us know there is most likely a story. Maybe, maybe not. But what about what we can't see? And what about most of us, physically disabled or not? We really all have a story, often a deeper, more profound story. It is as unique to you as your thumbprint. And we can share our stories with others in the same way we share food as part of ourselves. And it's nourishing. I love each story I hear. We are a collection of many stories. And our story doesn't have to define us. But our stories shape us and help us discern the person we want to be now. Write your story or tell your children a piece of it. I bet there is something in your story that your spouse of many years or your best friend or even your sister or brother does not know that you can tell them. I think we yearn to be connected on a human-to-human level and our personal history and where we come from and what we experience in a certain time and place, how we reflect on it now and the insight we have with the benefit of hindsight, who we are and who we are all becoming is all cherished. It's those stories in my head I can also recount in my conversations I have with God. They allow me to muse a bit and to be comforted by how much He already knows. Even when I go to share my latest chapter of my story with Him to ask for guidance. When I was at church yesterday, I felt the tears well up in my eyes when I heard the choir chanting softly Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. It is so very powerful. Our sins being taken away. And now we are free to begin again. I want to make sure I forgive as I have been forgiven. I don't always, especially when I am still working out what I perceive to be someone who did something wrong with an abuse of power or lack of responsibility or something like that. I'm sensitive to that, especially an act that I perceive as harm someone I love. I know that a piece of that perception has to be faulty or incomplete. And so I look within and ask myself, what is it I am to learn here? Is it really an abuse of power or lack of responsibility? Did I play a role 
What else do I not know and need to? I want to strive to see the other as a more whole person. There is one person I am working on having to do that with right now. Archer's lead doctor, who went so far as to say that based on the outpouring of cards and support in Archer's room, Archer was obviously in a class of privilege to have so much support and that he also probably never had to work hard for anything in his life as she registered her view of his lack of his being weaned off his vent. She seriously mistook love and support for weakness. It stunned me. Perhaps it stunned you too. But it literally felt like a sucker punch. I stayed really grounded when she said it and asked what she meant. I got angry later. Hard work? We called a meeting with the pulmonologist who said there's nothing more Archer could do. And now, in the last five days, we have a thoracic surgeon who says there is no amount of effort that can change Archer's ability to advance off the ventilator, which now may be even longer. And the respiratory therapists on Archer's team say he can cough and shake his chest like nobody else. The new definition of shake, rattle, and roll. So what she said was out of alignment, not grounded. It didn't line up with reality. We got that straightened out. But whatever the source or reason, the part that is most stunning to me is how little our lead doctor focused purely on the muscle and rehab knows about the patient, about the full patient, the whole patient, who they are. I felt she knew nothing of Archer, and that made me angry as we needed her support and her knowledge. Or maybe we didn't. I wasn't sure. I was saying the rosary daily and finding quiet spaces to meditate and pray just to breathe myself down and stay grounded. I was also carving out spaces where I could sit quietly to try to settle my body and listen to my body. I was deeply troubled by the disconnect with Dr. E that deeply disturbed me as I felt it was now causing Archer harm in not only a psychic, emotional way, but potentially in a medical way as well. How is a rehab patient to progress if his rehab doctor doesn't believe in him? My days were laced with prayer, moments of sitting very quietly with my eyes closed and requests for divine guidance.
I decided to form the question to the angels. I knew there were angels watching over us. What were we to do, angels? I set aside time for this question as I sat in silence for 15 to 20 minutes daily, trying not to seek, but to allow something to emerge. I felt very, very close to God. And I felt Bruno Lanteri was close to Archer. After a few days, I had a very clear thought that I had to help Archer's rehab doctor see who he was. And the next thought was that I needed to write her a letter about Archer. As I sat with this clarity, I could feel in my body that it was right. It was settling. It would also allow me to establish Archer's voice when he could not himself, and it would preserve face-saving for her, or perhaps for me as well, as I was boiling with the desire to have a showdown with her that would not have helped either of us, and most of all, not Archer. Yes, the letter was something I could write to settle me, and she could read and reread on her own time to educate her, hopefully read when she was receptive. I prayed for her discernment and change of heart. And I prayed I would not blow her doors off, so the letter was as good for me to write as I hoped it was going to be for Dr. E. to read. So Archer could be seen. I wanted her to care about Archer. Maybe you might do the same if you find yourself in a complex medical situation where you are at odds with or feel disconnected from the medical person who has a lot of power over the course of your future. Back to the family updates and what I told my family and friends. I will copy here an excerpt of a letter I wrote last weekend about Archer to his lead doctor. As I copy it, I realize you might write your own about your child. In fact, I think I will do the same for Paula, Pete, Dewey, and Dutch. As I also think about it, and that doctor, proficient as she is, we all have our own baggage. If we're not self-aware, which is what I'd say was the chief barrier, our narrow vision, often based on our hurtful past or what we have not yet experienced, can actually create big blind spots. We all have to be on guard for this, especially those of us who have a lot of power. I mean, our blind spots can really cloud reality and be quite destructive to others. Blind spots usually come from unresolved old wounds we are still carrying around from the past. We all have our blind spots. 
Anyway, my anger fueled an intense desire that she know Archer. If she knew Archer, she would never have said nor thought that. I believe that. Regardless of her biases, knowing him would widen her lens. Not just his level of injury and how well he was doing in rehab or how disappointed she was with him with how he was doing in rehab because of ongoing breathing issues. But I wanted her to know him. And because it was so important, I wanted it to be on the record so that she would not continue to mistake the love and support being shown to Archer for a type of weakness. I know, it's stunning. Yes, she said that, it's true. But you know, sometimes pure love brings out darkness, like sucking poison out of a snake bite. She might have her own demons to examine. We all do from time to time, don't we? We'll forgive her, but it doesn't mean I do so by pretending she didn't say and do what she did. No, I was angered by it. It was an abuse of power as her blind spot informed her decision-making. I asked for a face-to-face dialogue, which was very difficult to get, but did finally happen. And I sent this as part of a longer letter. So this is what I said about Archer. As a mother, there is only one mission here, the best care for our son. In a medical nutshell, Archer Sempt, age 17, broke his neck at C5 burst, drowned in the ocean, was rescued after being head down over two minutes in the water, and was fighting for his life for 30 days in the intensive care unit until he was transferred to Shepherd ICU, where he was still fighting for his life for another 14 days. Archer had had three cardiac arrests, a pacemaker, lungs collapsing, lung surgery, three chest tubes, and a total of nine surgeries in 38 days, six of them under general anesthesia. Shepard gave him a level of injury of C4, Asia A, complete. I'll fight for our son. I'll question authority that is not explained. I'll be relentless in the pursuit of collaboration, which often requires walking through fires together. And I'll be unwavering in my belief in Archer's future. He has been unwavering in the efforts he has given to live and to his breathing. It might be helpful for everyone on Archer's team to know a tiny bit about Archer, the young man. Archer is the fourth of five children. He is the third son. He is adored by his brothers and sister, and he does all kinds of clever and creative and delicious things for them. Always has. Archer is loved and lovable. Archer has worked full-time in the summers since he was 14, getting himself up every morning and riding his bike 
three miles to work. He is reliable. Archer has paid for his own clothes and phone since 15. He is responsible. Archer is an athlete in two sports, would have been varsity this year, with hard practices daily to fill highly competitive spots on each team. His school is number one in the state for most titles held every year. He is a team player. Archer started his own sports jerseys business at 14 and shared his profits with all his friends who told others about his business. He is generous. Archer works to pay his own car insurance, $600 in Baltimore City, for the privilege of driving since he turned 16. He's a good citizen. Archer was the chief cook running the kitchen at the Beach Club of Cape May where his injury occurred. He held that post at 16 and turned 17 two weeks before his injury. It's long hours in a hot, greasy kitchen. Archer is a hard worker and puts up with a lot of physical discomforts. I'll tell you a bit more about Archer. Archer has been deaf as a result of cholesteatoma from three and a half years of age, with annual surgeries lasting four to six hours at Johns Hopkins, where they'd have to drill through his mastoid to the middle ear to scrape, rebuild, and later to implant as a team of general anesthesiologists worked alongside this tedious surgery. Archer is courageous. After each of those surgeries for six years, Archer was required to lie very still for three to four weeks and not move for full recovery. Archer is disciplined. As a result of the cholesteatoma and last surgery, Archer's nerve in his face for taste was severed. Hopefully it will regenerate itself by the end of his teens. Despite this, Archer loves to cook. Archer is resilient. Archer is a straight A student, taking AP and honors courses in high school, even as a sophomore, working on very difficult chemistry, calculus, physics, history, government, English literature, Spanish, advanced drawing and painting that he works to master. Archer is gifted, rises to a challenge, and is intellectually stimulated. Archer stays up late after doing his homework and works two to three hours a night drawing. He's a portrait artist and logoist. Or on music, he's a pianist. It takes hours to be good. Archer is committed to quality. Archer has been commissioned by adults for his artwork. He insists on doing it for free. He has already experienced work that is very fulfilling. Archer is big-hearted. Archer has not participated in some activities and has participated in others. He has not always been treated kindly by his peers. 
Archer is forgiving. Archer works on sketches, canvases, surfboards, any surface with pre-drawings and designs in his head. He has all kinds of colored pencils, markers, that he just goes for it. Archer is confident with manifesting his imagination. Archer is a brother and friend who extends himself to little kids and looks up to and holds his own with older kids, always being himself. Archer is authentic. Archer is cerebral and thoughtful and often spends time thinking rather than chatting. Archer is serious. Archer has an amazing sense of aesthetics and how things work and present. He will produce things, music compositions, playlists, comical character sketches, key lime pie or cheesecake or other desserts with a perfect peel of lime or dust of confectioner's sugar. All things that make people feel good and happy. Archer is connected to others and kind. Archer can make just about anybody smile or laugh with his wit, often embedded in his carefully drawn drawings or graffiti or logos. Archer is subtle and creative. Archer has many friends, boys and girls. He is close with from grade school and new friends from high school. He is known for being philosophical and thoughtful. He's easy to be around. Archer will go to mass on his own, whether biking on Saturday evenings in the summer or get up on his own at home. Archer has inner strength and a relationship with God. Archer is also wondering about his future. He wonders about what he can and cannot do. He is sensitive to not wanting to be a burden. He is fearful about not knowing. Archer is afraid. We need to work together to do all we can for this lion-hearted boy so he can begin again. That's it. Thank you. Ever since the meeting and I wrote the longer letter, Archer's team has been exceptionally kind and encouraging. We noticed, and it's good. I pray I was a good mother and did the right thing. It's hard sometimes with all that is coming at us. Please pray for me that I am a good mother. Please breathe deeply, all of us, and please send healing energy to Archer's right lung. See it. See those pockets of air trapped by lung tissue, crowding out space for air to circulate and be absorbed in his lung. Please pray for Archer to breathe again, free from the ventilator. Breath, how life-saving it is. Breath, 
how freeing it is. Breath, how sustaining it is. Let us all count our blessings. Archer and I count ours daily. We are truly blessed. You are such a big part of our blessings. Thank you, God, for all these dear friends and family and friends of friends of friends of friends who believe. We are truly in this together. Hail Mary, full of grace, pray for us. Father Bruno Lanteri, intercede that Archer will begin again. Dear Lord God, please have mercy and bring about a creative miracle. Amen. Whether you are new to this podcast or have been following along since the beginning, you know we are on a journey of advocacy for what is possible. Part of what I learned is that painting the picture of who the patient is is essential, so medical staff sees not just a patient in crisis in a hospital bed in pain and afraid, but that they see the whole person and who they are when they are not in the hospital not in pain, not in trauma. Yes, to see a patient, any patient in a hospital, is very incomplete without seeing and knowing the whole person. Yes, it takes a little time to ask questions or to just notice. Yes, it takes a caring ethic to notice, to be curious. But, oh, the benefit of doing so multiplies as the healing process is enhanced. And understanding the person you are wanting to help is as good for them as it is for you, the helper. If you have ever found yourself in a situation where you felt you were not seen for the whole person you are, remember that if you choose to reveal more about who you are, it will be as good for the other as it is for you. You are worthy of being known. It takes courage to be vulnerable to show yourself. The experience of being fully seen, fully heard, can begin, even when there's no one in the room with you, can begin with how you view all of you. And you can practice fully seeing yourself. When this episode is over, you might spend just two more minutes listening, not to my voice, but to your own. So you can hear what your heart is saying. Maybe a gentle whisper in the silence. Maybe a feeling of remorse that you went too far or were not at your best with someone. But you are worthy of love. You are love. You are part of one source of love, connected to all that is good. Even if you feel let down or hurt or angry or broken from time to time. And once 
you are reconnected to your own essence, you might consider taking the time, the caring time, to really see someone else, a family member, a co-worker, a patient or client, or a friend, as a full human being from their essence. We are all in this life together, and we can witness each other's humanity. As always, if you learned something today or had an experience that moved you or brought you insight, please share this episode with a friend. You can subscribe and leave us a review, a five-star if that is how you feel about Blink of an Eye, wherever you listen to podcasts. Your support means the world and allows us to continue sharing this story and these resources. We can all begin again every day. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. Tune in next week for the companion Trauma Healing Learning 25. What does a caring ethic really mean? For nurses with trauma nurse Rebecca McWalters. Thank you for listening. And thank you for telling your friends about Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com.